Hello again. I don't know whether the weeks are getting shorter or I'm getting older and they seem to go quicker, but it's soon come round again to stand here giving you another little chat. Well, it's been a funny week this week. Earlier in the week I was driving down into town with Elaine when all of a sudden the car gave a violent lurch and struggled to pull away again after it slowed it right down. So I pulled into the side and I thought it must be the engine. I give it a bit of a rev and a bit of a gentle roll forward and everything seemed okay. Went down into the town, came back, no problems. A couple of days later we had some shopping to do and I drove into the car park down in Belper. Then on the way out, it gave a couple of really dramatic lurches. This time I reversed slightly to see if I could free something off that was causing a problem. And we got part way home and then it did it again and then again. And because it was dragging and pulling and the handbrake suddenly went solid, I couldn't get any play in the handbrake lever. Then it freed itself off and the handbrake came right up and we were cruising along. I come to the conclusion that it was something in the brakes, the rear brakes. So I phoned up the garage where my daughter works. Had a word with the fellow there that runs the garage and he says, yeah. They don't rivet the linings onto brake shoes now. They're laminated on and the brake shoe is delaminating and the loose bits are jamming the wheel. It's too dangerous to drive. See if you can get get it transported up here. Anyway, through my daughter and a couple of phone calls we we got some chaps down on a lorry and they came and picked it up. Took it up there and we had it done, had it repaired. That was on the Thursday as they were repairing it. All this happened on the Wednesday, eh? they took it away on the Wednesday night. Repaired it on the Thursday, I went to pick it up on the Friday. Elaine started off driving in her car to go and collect mine. Only got as far as the next village and the engine warning light came on on her car. Losing power but still just chugging along. Sat and listened to it a bit and I thought it's, it's misfiring somewhere, it's only really firing on, on three cylinders. Anyway, we could get a fair speed out of it just didn't accelerate very quickly, but it, it kept chugging along and did a fair speed. We geared up to 50 mile an hour. Sounded a bit rough doing it, but we did it. Anyway, we got to, got to the garage to pick my car up. I told them what the problem was. And as they do now with modern car engines, they got this laptop computer thing out and plugged it in and sat there and said yep yep it's the 
forget the actual term now but it's a, a regulator on the camshaft we had this before in the summer if we, we were driving along on the motorway and Elaine pulled into a, a service station and we had a drink and such like when we came to drive away we couldn't start the car This happened on a couple of occasions. Both occasions I called the RAC and it took them quite a while to arrive. So while we were waiting for them, I just tried it and the car started. So I cancelled the RAC, not a problem, didn't, didn't bother them. But eventually it packed up near where the garage was and they got the same diagnostics out and tried it and said, oh yeah, it's this regulator on the camshaft anyway they did some work on it then and did a sort of a temporary repair and it was chugging away quite nicely but uh, it's now packed up so we ended up going up to clay cross picking my car up and dropping Elaine's off so one or two things that she's planned had to be put on leave because uh, we'd only got the one car between us again. We had a bit of fun yesterday. We uh, took Monty back to where we had him from. Funnily enough, quite a few of the litter live within a short area around the part of Arnold in Nottinghamshire where we got him from. And one of his brothers is permanently there. They kept him with his mother and a black Labrador that they've got. So we took Monty for him to meet up with them all again. Well, it was chaos. Particularly Monty and Archie were fighting away like mad. Not hurting each other, not nastily fighting, but trying to work out who was top dog in the house. Gambling round, jumping up onto each other, knocking each other over. Took quite a while, but by the time they'd finished they were both exhausted and just lay there looking at us. Funnily enough, Monty wouldn't go near the Labrador, he was quite, uh, quite reluctant for that. And when they let the mum in to the two pups that were still fighting away, she just looked at them and barked, and they kept well away from her as well. Till later on, and then they got more friendly with each other. But it was an interesting, interesting afternoon. Comparing notes on how the dogs were behaving and how we'd got on with them, what we were doing with them. Hearing how the rest of Monty's brothers were going on at the different homes they'd been to because I think they all keep in touch with each other. So yes, it was an interesting afternoon yesterday. We caught up as well last night. Elaine watches Foxes Afloat on YouTube. I think she's a, a paid-up member. And... They've sold their narrowboat. We, we watched the series from the start where they were deciding to buy a narrowboat and went through the build and getting it. 
now they've sold it and they're on a hired boat doing the Caledonian Canal. Well, I talked about this, I think it was last week or the week before, how they'd gone down from Inverness and down to Urquhart Castle. Well, the one that we watched last night started off at Fort Augustus. A set of five locks. It's interesting there. I think I said at the time we were moored up at the bottom. We got there a bit late to go through the locks that evening. We'd walked up to Foyers Falls and had a look round up there, had a bit of lunch at the top, could look down onto Loch Ness and over the over the way to the hills and the mountains beyond. Interesting climb, lovely waterfall, brilliant. But we moored up on a lovely, calm, sunny day. We only went up for a couple of hours for a walk round and have some lunch. We walked back down and it was like the North Sea. The wind was blowing the lock. Waves were starting to form. I didn't believe it. But we we got back on board and we chugged across and got as far as Fort Augustus at the end of Loch Ness. But we couldn't go through the locks there, manned by Scotland Canal's people, and they'd finished for the day. They were just shutting down when we got there, so they told us to moor up for the night. Well, we got the full force of what was coming down the length of Loch Ness, and the boat was bouncing up and down all night. It's the worst night I've spent on a boat. It was picking us up and throwing us against the moorings. But we, we spent a bit of time the next day. We had a walk around the village, looked at the shops, went up to a old clan burial ground, an ancient burial ground, and had a walk around the, the historical part of it all. As we came back through the side of the woodland, back into the village, down this country path that I'd found, and said we'd go back that way instead of down the roadside, we happened upon two, two deer on the edge of the wood, grazing in the sunshine. Took it steady, we didn't scare them, and sat and watched them for quite a few minutes. I think it was the time, at the time, it was the first time that Elaine had actually seen wild deer like that. We've seen more since because we've done more walking around in the countryside. But that was quite something. She was very pleased with it. I think the only time she was more pleased was when we were going up Ever Gorge in Somerset. And a deer dashed across the path only about five yards in front of us. I didn't realise quite how much power a deer could apparently have because that was ploughing through the, the, the undergrowth as it went through. Anyway, I digress. So we walked back along by the locks. We had a drink in the uh, in the pub. Did a bit of gone goozling and watched what was happening along the locks and along the 
canal. Called at the chippy and walked back to the boat. And we decided we'd sit out on the foredeck. Got some rugs out and put over her knees. And had fish and chips out of the paper and a glass of wine. Just looking across at the old abbey on the other side of the canal. It's little clock tower poking up above the trees. It's one abiding memory I've got of that area doing that. Anyway, the next day, the bridge with the road over it opened and they waved us through to use the locks. I don't know why, but you have to turn the boat engine off and haul it through manually with the ropes. I don't know whether it's to stop the lock filling with diesel fumes out of the engines or what, but we had to turn, everybody had to turn their boat engines off and walk alongside the lock, pulling through with the ropes from lock to lock. Eventually out at the top, on with the engine and chugged along. Went across Lock Oik, which is interesting. I'd never had to go through a channel before with red and green marker boys to tell you where the channel is and how to go between them. Depending on which way you're going, you keep the different coloured boys to one side of the boat, red to one side, green the other, and go between them. It was interesting. We saw the Well of the Seven Heads, which was on the podcast last night. Or vlog, I think you call it, to be precise. They managed to moor up and walk up to it. I've been to that well, but only when we were driving around the area we called and looked. When we were there, the chart for the loch said it was too too shallow to get a boat in there. But on the vlog last night, they've built a quite a long jetty that you can go and moor up and then walk in over the shallow waters. Pity it wasn't there when we were. I'd have enjoyed to have gone across there, but I've seen it now, done it. Quite a gruesome tale about why it's called the Seven Heads. All down to clan warfare many years ago and revenge. It's called the Seven Heads because apparently there was somebody had beheaded seven people from other clans and presented the heads having washed them in that well that's why it's got its name and the stone carvings over the current well there shows seven heads with a dagger in a fist on the column above them a gruesome past but yet again, a reminder of the past, preserved 
for other people to see a reminder of where we've come from and how hopefully we've progressed. And yes, they moved on from there down to the Lagan Avenue, down to Lagan Locks where they moored for the night. I remember doing that. They sort of moored on the main body of the canal, but we, we turned off and into a bit of a marina to moor up. We spent a good night there. We had a little look round. Yet again, there's another ancient clan burial ground at the back. We had a wander around. There's a, a boat moored that does meals, evening meals, lunches. Excellent. The next morning we were we were up and as is my want I always get up first to make a brew of tea. And we were sat together on the deck looking out over towards the, the canal and the locks. When all of a sudden the biggest boat I've seen on the Caledonian Canal came chugging along. I think it's called the Lord of the Glens, but it's a big passenger ship. Cruise ship, I suppose you call it, because it takes people on a cruise round the lochs and round the Northern Isles. Comes out at Fort William and does a chug round the different offshore islands. Impressive boat. But I just sat there and I thought, I'm so pleased I didn't meet that as we were going along the canal. It seems to take up so much room. On the locks it's fine, there's plenty of room there, but places like Lagan Avenue, it looks a little bit big for going down there. It does it regular, so it must work. But yes, it brought back some lovely memories watching those last night. Really, really good memories of some great times we've spent up there. Both on water and taking up the caravan and having a drive round and a look round. Well, looking at how things are going and the way people are talking, I'm thinking we ought to start sorting out our holidays for next year. Places seem to be getting booked up very quickly. We've got visions of going up to the Lake District and possibly Northumberland. Both popular places, so we'd better get a move on and get them sorted. We'll have to have a, a rethink if as threatened, they're going to stop cars going into the certain areas of the Lake District. Hey, it doesn't bother me if they put the right amount of buses on or the right amount of public transport to get us from place to place. I don't mind walking when we get there. The whole idea for me is to park up and walk around the area, not drive everywhere. That's one of the things that I think of in the in the Peak District, which is on our doorstep. Different places have 
started charging to park cars instead of people parking for nothing and they're all complaining but if they didn't charge for parking the cars how would they maintain the car park or the footpaths there's got to be a price to pay for this freedom of moving around and this freedom of being able to drop off and charge across the countryside. I don't begrudge people wanting to get out and about and into the countryside, but the more it gets popular to do so, and the more people that have had cars to be able to get there, the countryside has been eroded and damaged, and it needs repairing. And those repairs need paying for. So who better to pay for the repairs than the people who are going out there in their cars and damaging it? I love the countryside, I grew up in it. And I think it's a shame that there are so many people around now who don't give it any respect. Once we were freed from lockdown, it was demonstrated as people dashed out into the countryside and left all their litter and used barbecue trays and all the rubbish that they dumped behind them. Even down to tents being left behind after they'd done some rough camping. It's not fair on the people who have to manage this countryside, the people who live there. I didn't realise, but if somebody goes and dumps something on a farmer's land and the council want it moving because it's an eyesore or because it's a problem, then it's the farmer that has to pay for it to be removed. It isn't down to being litter. If it's on a country road, then the council has to move it. But if they dump it in the field, the farmer has to pay for the removal. The landowner has to pay. Doesn't seem fair, really, but that's that's how it's always been. So yes, I'm looking forward to getting away and getting out and about. We've got the winter to get over yet, but fortunately, I don't suffer from any syndrome over the winter. This seasonal affective disorder and all that sort of thing I'm, I'm quite happy with it I can't always do the things I want to do because of the weather or because of the cold same as this morning I was out doing some work in the garden it was a bit cold but it was jobs that wanted doing a bit of tidying up sorting out the the garden bed where I'd had my tomato plants and everything growing, taking the support canes down and stripping it all out. Redistributing some of the soil as I'd got, some of the compost. I'm a bit late doing it, but I put some wallflowers in that I'd grown from seed. Earlier in the year I'd grown those on and I'd planted those out now. trying to remember these sort of things and what I've got to do when I'm doing them. 
puts me back to when I was younger and my dad was still very active in his garden. He worked shifts, so if he was on a morning shift, he'd be in the garden in the afternoon. If he was on afternoon shift, he'd be in the garden in the morning. If he was on nights, he'd be in bed in the morning, then in the garden in the afternoon. But when he was at his keenest best, he had a little notebook, and he put down in this book what he'd got in what plot, when he'd planted it, so that he knew what was where in his garden, how successful it was, so that he knew for next year how to rotate his crops and where different things had got to go next year. It was his real big pleasure was his garden for me dad. He loved it. He always knew where he was, he was either at work or in his garden. I learnt a lot from him doing that watching him looking after his rows of potatoes and putting sticks up to his peas and his beans. Happy memories of that. Happy memories of eating them, the stuff as he produced as well. I always remember the person at the far end of the row always won prizes at Hollywood show. Always won some of the top prizes in the horticulture for the gardens. Funny, because he hadn't got that much in his garden. But I know on the night before the show one year, he came round to me dad's. He was looking over the hedge and he was looking at different things. And he says, oh, but a bit short, he says. Do you mind if I have a few onions and a boiling of carrots? We're a bit short in my garden. They're not doing so well. Tammy Dad told him help himself. Yeah, we got plenty. We, we always had a glut of everything. We had too many things. Then he rode this bloke come in and got what he wanted. Now at the time we were still doing some work at Oliver's show and helping put it up and down. So that evening I was over at the showground helping put stuff up and I saw this chap from and the house come wandering in to the show field with a, a bag in his hand. And he went into horticultural produce tent and I watched him. Carried on with what I were doing and in the end I was walking back across the fields and I saw him leave. So I thought, oh, I wonder what's going on in that, that tent. I wonder what they're doing. Anyway, I, I walked in and looked through and there were some of my dad's onions and some of my dad's carrots under this chap's name as having grown them. But that was how this fella did it. I went next day after the judging, he'd won first prize with them both as well. Oh well. But that was how he did it. I know... My brother was helping out. He didn't only did it for a couple of years. He didn't do as much as me and my dad. But my brother was helping out one year. And we were at the prize givings. And uh, they were giving out the prizes. And he says, for the best apples, it goes to... And it was the chap from the end house. 
And Harvick looked at me and he looked at one of the judges and he says he ain't got an apple tree in his garden. And he hadn't. Where he got the apples from, I don't know. Whether he'd been up to Barker's and bought them at the shop. But he'd won the prize for the best apples and he hadn't even got a tree. Ah, well. Just happy memories of times gone by. But yeah, he did well, my dad. I know one year they were... Barker's shop was struggling for lettuces for some reason or other. Hadn't got a supply chain then like we have now. Not like when I was working at Barker's, we used to go out in the van up to the local farms and we'd come back with a ton of potatoes on it or crates of cauliflower, crates of cabbage, nets of carrots. But this particular year, they wanted some lettuce. So the son from the shop come down one day in his car and he says, I noticed when I brought some grocers in last week, you got a lovely set of rows of lettuces in your garden. And my dad says, yeah. He says, well, if we pay you, I don't know how much it was in those days. I mean, I'm going back to the 60s. Probably sixpence a, sixpence a lettuce. He says, if we give you sixpence a lettuce, can we buy some off you? And he did. He came down two or three times. He wasn't greedy. He only took half a dozen or so at a time. But he came and got these lettuce and sold them on. I've no doubt, knowing Barkers in later years, that those lettuce probably went to a, one of the country houses, one of the large manors in the area that we delivered to. Probably had a bit of a crop failure in their walled garden. Hey, it's all different things that go through my mind when I'm talking and thinking about things gone by. Anyway, I looked at the clock and without realising it, I don't know about when I opened the, the chat today, I said the week seems to go past. These half hours seem to go quicker as well. I've had me time. So, talk to you again soon. Ta-da for now.